This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of Terry's to use knife and sword emporium here in Pistown, Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. It's Thursday, which means it's time to get your garbage can nominees in ahead of tomorrow's subscriber-only show. I have a feeling there will be snakes in the trash this week. <laughs> there are lots of, lots of nominations already for uh, Warren, obviously. Uh, some people nominating uh, CNN, deservedly so. Uh, I've seen Stephen Colbert nominated. I've seen the NYPD nominated. They're nominated on a near weekly basis. Should be a good one tomorrow. Should be a good garbage can show. Make sure you uh, subscribe at patreon.com slash district sentinel so that you can listen to it. So uh, just a reminder that we're actually going to be in Columbus, Ohio soon. A week from tomorrow. In fact, we're doing a, a live show. Yes. With the Street Fight Boys and Jake Flores. Yes. In Columbus. It's going to be great. Forget the name of the venue, but guess what? Go to the Street Fight uh, webpage. They got all the, the info there and the tickets. The tickets, if you want to buy the tickets. Yeah, this is like their the Street Fight uh, like variety, variety show. show. This is, I think, their second episode. Their first one they had Trillbillies on uh, last month. There's going to be a band. We're going to get like music yeah, I'm, to come on to. I'm pretty freaking excited about I'm really this. fucking excited, and I was just thinking about it. Because guess what? If we mention the name Elizabeth Warren, <laughs> oh man, I bet you the hisses are just going to be deafening. They're just going to be deafening. <laughs> so we we might have to work a certain someone into our routine. Oh, now. they're they're going to be on the docket for sure. <laughs> they're on the guilty innocent docket for sure, and I uh, I know what the ruling will be. All right. Anything else to say? Are we ready? Uh, nope. I don't think so. I mean, the uh, the the progressive groups are calling for calm. <laughs> I I think the uh, horse has bolted at this point Look, out uh, of the barn. Yeah. And I don't. You know, I personally don't think that Bernie should spend time attacking Warren. I think he should move on as best as he can. Right. But you can't control the discourse. That's, it's the discourse. You can't control it. Yeah, yeah. The, the 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 idea of scolding Bernie supporters online right now that ship has fucking sailed after the way the Warren campaign is acting. Or the idea that Bernie supporters should keep in check. Yeah. That's, anything that's after now. how the Warren campaign has just fucking just knifed. Yeah. Yeah, I'd buy I'd buy into these unity pledges if they were directed exclusively at the Warren campaign to cut this shit out. But instead, it's a lot of both sides bullshit. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you know, pick and choose your battles out there on the uh, on the hell site. Yeah. But also, you know, fuck it. Also, when someone acts like a snake, call them out for acting like a snake. There is also a crab emoji. I will know. I will note. <laughs> Excuse me, but who am I to judge the collective wisdom of the uh, of the snake posting? It's Thursday, January 16th, 2020. Here's the news. 
The Government Accountability Office has now waded into the impeachment debate. The federal oversight body determined that the Trump White House did indeed break the law when it withheld aid to Ukraine. The GAO decision was released on Thursday just as the Senate began swearing in members ahead of the impeachment trial next week. According to the report, GAO found that the administration was in violation of the Impoundment Control Act, law passed by Congress that requires the president to obligate funds appropriated by Congress, essentially reaffirming the Constitution's order that Congress has the power of the purse and the president's role is to faithfully execute the law. Reading from the summary of GAO's ruling, quote, In the summer of 2019, the Office of Management and Budget, OMB, withheld from obligation funds appropriated to the Department of Defense for security assistance to Ukraine. Faithful execution of the law does not permit the president to substitute his own policy priorities for those that Congress has enacted into law. OMB withheld funds for a policy reason, which is not permitted under the Impoundment Control Act. The withholding was not a programmatic delay. Therefore, we conclude that OMB violated the ICA, the Impoundment Control Act. So, uh, more fodder here for Democrats heading into the impeachment proceedings. Yes, lethal aid to Ukraine was, is a bad idea. Yes, in this case, the policy passed by Congress that the president initially refused to implement was bad policy. But imagine if a future Congress passes a billion-dollar climate change foreign aid package, overrules a presidential veto, and the president still decides not to deliver it. That's a problem. And that's not even taking into account the fact that the president would be withholding it in order to enlist the help of shady Ukrainians to boost his reelection prospects. Speaking of that, among the new pieces of evidence obtained by Democrats for the upcoming impeachment trial includes text messages between now indicted Rudy Giuliani associate Lev Parnas and Trump supporter and congressional candidate Robert Hyde. Both guys were involved in the scheme to, at the behest of Trump and Giuliani, get Ukraine to dig up dirt on Joe Biden. We know that scheme involved the firing of U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Ivanovich. According to these texts, it may have involved something far more nefarious with regards to the ambassador. These texts suggest that Hyde likely had Ivanovich under surveillance He's relaying her movements and whereabouts and security detail to Parnas. In that convo, Hyde sent the following text referring to Yovanovitch, quote, They are moving her tomorrow. The guys over they, must be a typo, the guys over they asked me what I would like to do and what's in it for them. And then, quote, They are willing to help if we, you, would like a price. Guess you can do anything in Ukraine with money, what I was told. End quote. So that can be read in a number of ways. And one of them is certainly, hey, maybe some of the president's henchmen were planning to whack the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. That wouldn't be all that far-fetched of a reading, to be honest. As a result of all this, Ukraine did announce an investigation, just not the one the president has wanted. The Ukrainian National Police said on Thursday they've started an inquiry into whether or not 
Ambassador Yovanovitch was illegally surveilled while she was in Kiev. The Ministry of Internal Affairs of Ukraine said in a statement, quote, Ukraine cannot ignore such illegal activities on the territory of its own state. By the way, Lev Parnas himself gave an interview with Rachel Maddow on Wednesday night. Gotta admit, I didn't watch it since Maddow has destroyed any credibility she's ever had. <laughs> Remember when she thought she had the smoking gun of the uh, tax returns? <laughs> yes. And all you knew it, it was a smoking gun when it took her 20 minutes to get to what she actually had. Oh, my had. God. And yeah, all, all it did was remind everyone of the Al Capone's vault thing where yeah. Geraldo Rivera said that he thought he found Al Capone's vault and had some uh, elaborate national television uh, program to, to open the vault live. And uh, was it, it wasn't even a vault. Right. There it was, was just like, that, well, there was nothing. I in think it. it was a vault, but there was nothing in it. But yeah, I remember, uh, I remember turning it on and she just kept going on uh, and on and on. Yeah. This was a big moment. This is a big night. And the president probably sent it to her himself. Yeah. 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 Well, that's why, uh, that's among the many reasons why I don't watch Rachel Maddow anymore, but I did see clips from this interview and she might have scored something a little better than Al Capone's vault or the so-called tax returns that she thought she had. Um, in this interview, Parnas makes the case that President Trump was aware of every single thing Parnas was up to in Ukraine and the scheme that they were running. Not only Trump, but also Mike Pence, also the uh, attorney general, William Barr. Everybody knew everything. So... All of that is setting up next week's trial in the Senate, where it is still unlikely Republicans will convict the president, even if he may have been scheming to assassinate a U.S. ambassador. Ah, speaking of the Senate, there's still some business to get to before the impeachment trial. Right, Sam? That's right. Right before the articles were transmitted from the House, this morning the Senate passed the USMCA, the update to NAFTA spearheaded by President Trump. Under any other administration, this would be dominating the news cycle for weeks. Under Mango Mussolini, it's nobody's lead story. Either way, it was a big win for the president handed to him by congressional Democrats. The revised trade deal passed the Senate with broad bipartisan support 90 to 10 excuse me, 89 to 10. It had also passed the House by a huge margin, 385 to 41. Many Dems are backing the deal by, by citing support from the AFL-CIO, the largest federation of unions in the country. There is, however, opposition to the deal from numerous labor unions, including the United Auto Workers. So it isn't surprising that 38 of the 41 no votes in the House came from Democrats on the left, all four squad members and the Progressive Caucus co-chairs were among those who voted no. Also unsurprising, Bernie Sanders led the uphill battle to stop this deal in the Senate. Obviously, an unsuccessful uphill battle since it already passed. Anyway, here he was last night outlining his case on the Senate floor. Uh, this agreement is opposed by labor unions uh, like the International Association of Machinists, and the United Food and Commercial Workers. It is opposed by numerous environmental organizations, including the Sunrise Movement, the Sierra Club, Friends of the Earth, the League of Conservation Voters, 
and virtually every major environmental organization in the country. Further, it is opposed by the National Family Farm Coalition, which believes it will lock in rules that have devastated family-based agriculture and expand corporate control over agriculture in North America. Sanders then did one of those things he does that drives corporate bootlickers wild. He listed his long history of being correct on this issue. Sanders explained how trade deals passed by Congress over the past few decades have created a race to the bottom on wages and on environmental issues. Bernie then explained why USMCA doesn't do anything to rectify the situation. Under this agreement, large multinational corporations will still be able to shut down factories in America where workers are paid some $28 an hour and move to Mexico where workers there are paid less than $2 an hour. This agreement does nothing to stop fossil fuel companies like Exxon, Mobil, and Chevron from dumping their waste and pollution into Mexico and destroying the environment. In fact, it makes it easier for fossil fuel companies to bring tar sands oil into the United States through dangerous pipelines like the Keystone XL. It does, this proposal does not even mention the word climate change. Imagine in the year 2020, we have a major trade agreement that does not even mention the words climate change, the existential threat facing not only our country, but the entire planet. Sounds uh, like a shitty deal. <laughs> Sanders also noted how the USMCA preserves oil and gas company access to so-called investor state dispute settlement panels. These are basically international courts created under trade deals that only take cases from investors suing governments, and that's it. Yeah, they're terrible. Anyway, Elizabeth Warren supports the USMCA. She voted yesterday. And you really hate to see this, but that puts her to the right of Chuck Schumer, who came out this morning against the deal, quote, because it doesn't address climate change, the greatest threat facing our planet. Think about, you know, I considered Chuck Schumer's foreign policy record. I'm like, wait, not so fast. And then I remember Elizabeth Warren's foreign policy <laughs> record as well. I'm like, yeah, I'm just going <laughs> to quietly sit back. Also voting no among Senate Dems were Cory Booker, Kirsten Gillibrand, that slipped up over that name. I haven't said that name in a while. Kamala Harris, speaking of which, Ed Markey, Jack Reed, Brian Schatz, and Sheldon Whitehouse. There was one Republican no, Pat Toomey from Pennsylvania, but Warren technically wasn't to the right of him. Toomey is against this deal because he thinks it's too hard on capital and that NAFTA was better. Of course. <laughs> I, as we said earlier, it's probably not useful for the Sanders campaign to directly attack Warren, but I don't think it's a direct attack to release a press release today noting that you are the only one in the field who objected to this trade deal, which delivers Trump a major victory as he's about to be impeached. That's right. And which, as Bernie made an eloquent case for, does nothing to address climate change. And still fucks over workers. That's right. He's Maybe he, even mention the senators by name who decided to support it in that statement. Just just throwing that out there. Well, I, I 
to be fair, I'm not sure what uh, Yang and Biden and Buttigieg, what their official position on this issue is. But sure. Ber- but just Bernie note could the certainly senators say, who supported it. Or, or he could say, I'm the only one who tried to stop it, who, yeah. u- who used his power to try to stop it. Yeah. And maybe maybe uh, maybe rip on Michael Bennett in like a really <laughs> in a really backhanded uh, rip on Warren. Moving on, the Watchdog Group Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility, PEER, said that the FCC should be sued over its approval of space projects that are polluting the night sky. The group cited a new report set to be published in the Vanderbilt Journal of Entertainment and Technology Law and first reported on by Scientific American that argues that the FCC has violated the National Environmental Policy Act, or NEPA, by approving the deployment of thousands of satellites from private companies. The lights from those satellites could obscure the activities of astronomers. The FCC recently granted approval to SpaceX to launch 12,000 satellites into orbit over the coming years. 12,000, I mean, there's currently only 1,500 active satellites in orbit. The issue, though, is that under NEPA, Government agencies like the FCC are required to conduct environmental impact assessments on all projects they approve, but the FCC has issued itself a categorical waiver on conducting these assessments, claiming that none of the projects in the FCC's purview, including the space projects it approves, has an environmental impact. This is like the meme of the uh, guy pointing at his own head and be like, can't produce the environment if if there's no environment in space. According to the author of the forthcoming paper in this Vanderbilt journal, that's not true, as evidenced by the effect the satellites have on astronomers and hobby stargazers. Ramon Ryan pointed to language in NEPA that would trigger environmental reviews on, quote, aesthetic, historic, and cultural effects, which, I don't know, should include the night sky. In a statement to Scientific American, Peers staff counsel Kevin Bell said, quote, I think there's a tolerable NEPA argument that can be made. The beauty of the night sky and for astronomers, the ability to conduct science by doing observations of the night sky are both impacts that would be covered by the statute. So there should be a case there. End quote. The FCC responded to the story by noting that these issues did not come up during FCC proceedings. Finally, in another story that shows just how utterly broken we are as a country, two psychologists at the heart of the post-9-11 CIA torture program are set to testify at Guantanamo Bay. James Mitchell and Bruce Jessen were exposed in late 2014 when the Intelligence Committee, then chaired by Senator Dianne Feinstein, issued its torture report. It was actually one of the first stories we reported on at the District Sentinel. Sam wrote a piece about how the committee found that the two men were paid $180 million by the CIA, quote, despite neither psychologist having any experience as an interrogator, nor a specialized knowledge of Al-Qaeda, nor a background in counterterrorism, nor any relevant cultural or linguistic expertise. Could go on. (laughs) Also, Mitchell and Jessen, quote, personally conducted interrogations of some of the CIA's most significant detainees. But because this is the United States of America, not only did nothing ever happen to these two men, they are also now witnesses for the prosecution and trials at Guantanamo Bay of defendants they may have personally helped torture. 
I say trials. Next week, Mitchell and Jessen will appear at pre-trial hearings. Either way, Amnesty International sounded the alarm today. Julia Hall, an Amnesty counter-terror expert who will be present at Gitmo, said this of the two men, quote, The fact that they are testifying at this high-profile hearing shows the CIA's failure to root out the human rights abuses at the heart of its counter-terror program. Anyway, thanks again to President Obama for looking forward and not backward. Certainly looked forward very well, and we are not at all dealing with the abuses of the Bush administration now whatsoever. I'll make a deal with uh, all the Gitmo supporters, the people who think this atrocious prison, this embodiment of a human rights abuse should remain open. Uh, We can keep it open, but we release everybody who's currently in there and replace them with Mitchell and Jessen. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. You know, Stephen Miller could eventually go to Gitmo. Sure. Uh, Other people, uh, bankers. (laughs) Lloyd, Lloyd Blank Keep by Jamie Gitmo Diamond. Keep open for gulag purposes after the revolution. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. That'll yeah, wrap James it up. James O'Keefe, you hear that one? You got that one recorded? <laughs> that music means the newscast is over and it's time to read some poetry. All new subscribers on Patreon, patreon.com slash District Sentinel. Get their own haiku written for them and read on the air. This one goes out to Harvey. There is trash in space. There's also trash in the sea. Trash world, you and me. Thank you, Harvey. Thank you, Harvey. And thanks to all the new subscribers. Again, that's patreon.com slash district sentinel. Get in there today so that you can listen to tomorrow's garbage can show. Okay. Last thing before we leave, the listener rant line. Hey, Sentinel gang, it's Slater. I'm not calling in to talk about the debate from Tuesday night. I'm not calling to talk about my skepticism of Warren's candidacy um, on the record with this podcast. (laughs) I just want to get straight to some winners and losers from the awful pundit tournament. Because we've already been through three-eighths of the voting for the round one, and it's mostly been shocked, but there have been a few upsets. Max Boot over Bill Maher, uh, one seed going strong. Bill Kristall over Jonah Goldberg. Jonathan Shade over Rush Limbaugh. The baseball crank took out Connor Friedersdorf. Brett Stevens absolutely rolled Maggie Aberman. Anna Navarro trounced hardball Chris Matthews. John Favreau took out Jill Filipovich. Mm. David Frum over Janine Pirro. Mm. Dennis Prager over Eric Erickson. And this has been the biggest upset so far. Jennifer Rubin over Megan McCain. That's a big one. Jennifer Rubin going very strong right now. Katie Hopkins over Ross Douthat. And uh, finally, Chris Eliza took out Joe Scarborough. Morning, Joe. More dead than the intern in his office in this tournament. (laughs) But he'll have another go at it at 2021. Uh, Dudes later, peace out. You know, we talked about Brett Stevens being a uh, a likely finalist in this tournament. Yeah. I mean, going as far until he reaches Ben Shapiro, probably. Right. But that, that, that Jen Rubin uh, upset, Whew. I mean, wow. 
Yeah. Wait, who, who, who is she, she up against again? It she was, beat Megan McCain. Me, of course, Megan McCain. I mean, Megan, Megan McCain, McCain is you would like have a her final like four. A, yeah, yeah, exactly. That that makes me think Jen Rubin uh, could do some damage yeah. in this tournament. She could go pretty far. Yeah, uh, as I said last time, Brett Stevens really rounding into form heading into this tournament. You know who is too and who has a, coming off a victory here in, in the first round, as Slater pointed out, John Chait. That's right. Don't sleep on John Chait. That's right. Yeah, I, I I knew Slater would do some spiking of the football over uh, his his uh, long history of being on the record over Warren on the rant line. And credit to him, I think there was some th- th- there was some value in being in in walking sort of carefully around that issue and 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 sort of being strategic about it and not wanting. Uh, to alienate certain Warren supporters that we can win over. But quite frankly, if those supporters aren't already disgusted by what she just did, I'm not sure it's... Yeah, the uh, Warren campaign yeah. is doing a lot of the work already that <laughs> it's, it's Bernie not worth attacking it. would have done. <laughs> yeah. So Yeah, uh, right. That, yeah, that's right. Thanks for that. Yeah, no, 202-684-6108. Call the rant line. Leave a message. We'll play it on air. That is the show. We are back tomorrow with the Garbage Can Show for subscribers. Everyone else, we are back, I guess, Tuesday. Monday is a federal holiday. We're back Tuesday. We're in D.C., so you don't have to be.